Well, good morning, everybody. I have uh, enjoyed, Charlotte and I have enjoyed being with you already and uh, appreciate so much Kip's ministry here. And thank you, Jim, for the kind words about the school a moment ago. And I just need to say in the beginning how much we appreciate uh, what you mean to the school, your encouragement, your support. Uh, you're a home for some of our staff and faculty, including Jeannie Alexander and, and uh, students like Morgan, and thank you so much. Um, you, you contribute regularly to the school. You give financially. Uh, I'm the person who notice. I mean, I, I literally see your gift, and it means a lot to this, to this ministry. Uh, four years ago, Charlotte and I moved here, uh, after preaching in churches for a long time, because I uh, really wanted to invest these years, these coming years, in uh, a ministry that would make a difference in churches literally across the world, as Jim said. And when we make a difference in churches, we make a difference in communities and in cities. Well, we're going to be in Titus. If you'll open your Bible or your phone, or your whatever it is, your Kindle, or your iPad, to the book of Titus, three chapters. I'm going to tell a story. Uh, we're going to look, first of all, at Titus chapter 2, if you'd turn there to verse 11. Look at verse 11 of Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at the next phrase. Josh has been preaching on the cross. Look at this next phrase. Who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. John Maxwell tells the story of six men in a boat. Six men in a boat. Three are at one end, three are at the other. Three at one end, three at the other end, and water is rushing into the boat. They're out on a lake. Three of the men on one end of the boat are frantically trying to scoop water out of the boat. Three men on the other end of the boat are watching them work. You ever experienced that before when you're do, trying to do something and there are a lot of folks that just want to watch you? And they're watching. And at one point, one of them who is watching says, I sure am glad that hole is not on our end of the boat. Isn't that silly? 
That's just a silly story. One reason I like it, though, because it does remind me, maybe it'll remind you, that we are all in this together. It doesn't matter if the hole is on your end or on my end. We are all in this together. It doesn't matter whether a bunch of mess is going on across town or in your neighborhood. We are all in this together. We are all broken. We are all in need of healing. We are all in need of forgiveness. We are all in need of Jesus. We're all in this together. You come to a book like Titus, and there is this section that I just read. I would refer to this as gospel foundation, where Paul says this is what the Lord has done. Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. The big question is, so how in the world do you live in light of all this? Well, this took place, this little book is written to Christians on the island of Crete. And it's known as being a pretty nasty place. Crete was known for, the, for these characteristics. The murder that took place, the fighting in the streets, prostitution, robbery, and on and on. They were known as an insolent people, a difficult people. We're told that pirates and criminals roam the streets. If your kids want to go out and play, I guess, at Crete, if they want to go out and play baseball or whatever, you say, you know, watch out for the people. I don't know what you do if you live there. In fact, I'm not sure. Do, 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 we, do we want to go to Crete and just set up our homes and, and raise our kids there? I'm not sure. It's a rough place. Chapter 1, verse 12. Remember this little line? One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars. You want to go to Crete and do business? I mean, you can't tell if you're constantly being lied to or not. Always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. There was one historian, Diodorus, who was a Greek historian. He wrote, So much do, they, do the lust for wealth and underhanded gain prevail among them, talking about the people at Crete, that they are the only people in the world among whom there is no stigma attached to any sort of gain whatsoever. Paul is writing to these people to tell them this is what you need to be thinking about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday as you live on Crete. Or in Crete. As you live on the island. Many years later, we open this book. We listen to what Paul says, and my goodness, it kind of sounds familiar. 
Look at chapter 1, verse, uh, or 2, verse 5. Well, that's, I'm sorry, 1, verse 5. 1, verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished, and second, that you might appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Two reasons I left you in Crete, Paul says to Titus. One, I want, I want you to appoint elders. And I also want you to set in order some things. We're, we're pretty familiar, a lot of us anyway, with what he says about elders in this book. Look for a moment at chapter 1, verse 6. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. And he goes on to say, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless and not overbearing, not quick-tempered, etc., etc. You know, when you're, when you're growing up, how do you learn how to do life? How do you, how do you figure that out? How do, you, how do you learn how to do life? Well, what a lot of us do is we, we watch the people that are around us. Some of us had a good mama. Some of us had a good daddy and a mama. Some of us had a good daddy. Sometimes we, 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 we see somebody that we admire, and we kind of watch them, and we, learn, we see how they do things. We see how they handle themselves. But imagine living in a place like Crete or Memphis. Imagine living in a place like Crete where maybe you're growing up in a home and you've never seen good role models. You've never seen a marriage that you felt like even, was even functional, much less healthy. You've, you've never really seen how to rear children. I mean, you've compared notes with other people who are in their mid-twenties, but in terms of just seeing somebody that's kind of done that well, you've never seen that. Paul is telling these people, I want you to appoint elders. And notice what he says about these elders. What he's telling them is this, I want you to model something that is the exact opposite of what these people have experienced. I want them to see a healthy marriage. I want them to see what it means to rear children where they're not open to the charge of just running the street. I, I want you to be the kind of people that are not quick-tempered, not, not hotheads. So that the people coming into that church can look at some of these elders and go, Oh, that's how you do that. Well, we won't. Let's move on, and that's really what I want to do this morning to the second one, where Paul says, I want you to set some things straight. Paul knows that we need to learn what it means to be Christian men, Christian women, Christian singles. Christian married people, 
Christian college students, Christian high school students. He, he wants us to know what that means, what that looks like. I don't know about you, but I don't do real well with people just telling me things and me kind of picking it up. Sometimes when somebody's giving me all these details about here's what you do and do this and do, I just get lost after a while. I, I, it helps me if I can see somebody doing it, if I can watch you doing it, and then I go, oh, ah. Chapter 2. He begins to speak to uh, Titus, and, he, and, and, and he, he's going to single out some groups of people. Older men, older women, young men, young women. Slaves. And he's going to tell them, here's some things I want you to, to think about in terms of how you live Monday through Saturday. Teach the older women, verse 3, to be reverent in the way they live. Not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, busy at home, kind, subject to their husbands, no one, so that no one will malign the Word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Then verse 7. In everything, set them an example, talking directly to Titus. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. It's not just the elders that he's wanting people to, to, to be able to watch. He's wanting for the older women and the older men to get it together. My hair is gray now. But you know, you can, you can be a fool and have gray hair. You can get older as a woman or a man and have so little wisdom. And he's speaking very directly to these older men and older women because he wants the younger ones to be able to look at them and learn something. He wants them to model something. This is not the time to sit back in your recliner and wait for the funeral. This is the time to model something. He's telling the younger women and the younger men, get it together. And to Titus, he says... You set an example. Well, basically, here's what this is. It's learning, as a man or a woman, what to say yes to and what to say no to. Now, when we, when we finish in just a moment, you may, you may be thinking, well, that, is, that, was, that was just so simple. Well, he's pretty simple in, in, in a lot of ways in this, in this book. How in the world do I respond to the cross? How does the cross change my life as a person who lives in Memphis? The cross of Christ teaches me, here it is, to say no to some things and yes to other things. No to some things and yes to other things. Look in your Bible, if you would, at uh, 
chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. See, when I read something about this, this gospel foundation, this, the story of, of the Christ who gave Himself for us to create a people of His very own, to redeem us. What does that mean in plain English? First of all, it means i got to learn to say no to some things. No to ungodliness. There are some behaviors we just know are wrong. We know, that, we know they're wrong. It's not a question of not knowing. We actually know they're wrong. And, and Paul is saying to Titus, you've got to teach these people to say no to certain ways to act. Why do this? Because Jesus died for you. And He's creating a new kind of people. Say no to worldly passions. Worldly passions. This is where, you know, you, you just... You, you have the itch to do something. You have the itch to buy something. You have the itch to be somewhere, be with a group of people, get into this situation. And, when, and if I were just being honest, it is, it is, it's just because my desires are just raging. Paul says say no to that. Jump down to chapter 3. Uh, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy. Malice just when you're trying to hurt people. Trying to hurt people. You get on Facebook, write a bunch of trash, and just trying to hurt somebody. Talk to somebody, spread a rumor, just trying to hurt somebody. Malice. He's saying, say no to malice. Say no to envy. And you know what envy is. It's where I look on the parking lot at what you drove, and I'm thinking, how can they be driving that? I wish I had that. And I feel kind of shortchanged by God because I'm not living where I want to live, driving what I want to drive. And I envy. I just constantly think about how shortchanged I am in life. Say no to that. And finally, we lived uh, being hated and hating one another. Say no to these things. Say no to these things. Now sometimes, the things that you're called to say no to are the very things you itch to do. He says, remember the cross. Say no to these things. Well, what do I say yes to? Look for a moment, if you would, at uh, 3. And um, uh, 3 and 3.1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, Always to be gentle toward everyone. I want to say yes to obedience. 
Now, we've got these two children. Actually, they're women with mortgages now, but they were our little girls. And I remember when they were at home and in the house, and I would say, um, Christine, uh, how about taking out the trash? Or Jamie, uh, I need you to help me outside. And there were times you, when, when that person would just sit there. Now, like any parent, you know what the next step is. Do a hearing check. Did you hear what I said? Which is one of the stupidest questions. To, I mean, but I always did that. Do a hearing check. I, I'm saying stupid because I knew she had heard me. That wasn't, but somehow I just said that anyway. I want to have a heart of obedience where when I know what God wants me to do, I don't just sit there. I want to have a heart that says yes to being peaceable. Where I'm not interested in stirring up a lot of drama, I'm interested in in building bridges between people. I want to say yes he says, to being considerate. Something's wrong when I sit on a pew on Sunday and I'm known on Monday as a royal jerk. I'm called to be considerate. Now, all of this, he says, is about making the teaching of the Gospel attractive. Chapter 2, verse 10. He says, uh, he's talking to slaves, and he says, uh, teach them not to steal from them, talking about their masters, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. We do all of this. We say no to certain things and yes to other things. One reason we do this is it really makes the gospel attractive. And we can actually diminish the attractiveness of the gospel by, living poor, poor, by poorly living, poor living. If you walk in this building and you smell chocolate chip cookies and the aroma is just all through the building, it smells good. Smells good, for one, because I, I know not only the smell, I know the taste that goes with that smell. If you walk in the building and there is this smell of burnt cookies, and you say, oh, there's a whole lot of cookies over there. You, well, I, I don't, I'm not sure I'm going to go over there. Because I've tasted burnt cookies and it's not so good. When you and I follow Christ and we're serious about saying yes to the right things and no to the, to the wrong things, it's an aroma to people. They're drawn to the Lord. Many will be. Well, finally, in this little book, he just encourages them over and over to do good. Seven times he mentions do good. Uh, I'm just going to read one. Verse 14, chapter 3. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. Say yes to doing what is good. 
Go to work declaring that you're going to do good. Be a person who, when you're in a conversation, you, go, you want to do the good thing. When there's an opportunity to serve, you want to respond in a good way. Heard the story the other day. It was William Carey. He was about to go to India. It was 1792. He knew of no other missionary that had been to India before. And he told some of his friends, I feel as if I'm going into a mine where nobody's gone before me, like a salt mine or a coal mine. I feel as if I've gone into a, I'm going into a mine where no one has gone before me. He was talking to some friends of his one day, and he said, I'm going into this mine, speaking of India, I'm going into this mine, and I need you to hold the ropes. Hold the ropes. Like in that day, when he could picture himself going into, a, into an actual mine, and somebody behind him, behind him is holding a rope, and he's holding onto the rope. We come on Sunday morning like this. We come together. And it's like we sort of get our bearings again, you know? Because sometimes we realize we've been saying yes to some things we need to say no to. And sometimes we may be saying no to some things that we may need to be say, saying yes to. But I can't do this by myself. We, God is creating not a person, but a people people, His church. And there is a sense in which I can start the week and I can say, by the grace of God and in the power of the Spirit, I want to go down into that mine. I want to go to work. I want to say no to what I ought to say no to. But I need to know you're behind me holding the rope. That the elders of this church are holding the rope. That the older men and the older women are holding the rope. That the young men, young women, we're all supporting and encouraging one another as we start another week by the grace of God saying no to what is ungodly and wrong for us and saying yes to what will bless the world. There's a wonderful story of... Uh, a woman who lived in New York State. She was quite wealthy. This was the late 40s, as I recall. And she decided one day to take her touring car out for a drive. She was going to drive from New York State to New Jersey, Princeton, New Jersey. And she drove, you can move on to the picture of the hotel if you would. She drove, she drove her car right in front of that hotel. And she got out, and she kind of sashayed toward the doors, and there was a little man standing by the doors to the hotel, just kind of standing there. She sashayed toward him with her luggage, dropped her luggage at his feet, fished into her 
purse to get a quarter and pressed it into the palm of his hand. I heard this story from Tom Long years ago. He went on to say, the little man just looked at the quarter, the woman proceeded to sashay into the hotel, she looked, he looked down at her luggage, quarter in his hand, Shrugged his shoulders, picked up her luggage, went into the hotel, set it in the hotel. That little man didn't work there. He was Albert Einstein, and he lived a couple of blocks from the hotel, and he was on his way to his office at Princeton, and he walked that way a lot, and he would stop at the hotel to rest. And that morning, he, he just stopped, and he was looking in the window, and he turns around, and this woman's coming toward him with her luggage. Someone said, well, Dr. Einstein, what did you do when she dropped the luggage at your feet, and you got this quarter in your hand? He said, I didn't know what else to do but take her luggage into the lobby and set it down. She looked at him, and I guess thought, that he was the doorman to a hotel, the Princeton Inn. But he didn't work for the hotel. What she had absolutely missed, she had missed that she was face to face with probably the most renowned physicist of our time. At least of her time for sure. Could it be that this morning, right here in March, could it be that the one thing we need most is right in front of us? Could it be that as I come together on, we come together on this morning and we've got questions and... We had to deal with some concerns and some stress this past week, and we've got some upcoming issues to deal with. And, and, and in the middle of all that, could it be that the one thing we need to be reminded most is that Jesus Christ, the Savior who gave Himself for us to redeem us, is right here and is with us and is in us. Charlotte and I lived in Waco, Texas for 20 years. I preached in Waco for 20 years. We moved from Waco to Memphis four years ago. One morning, uh, it was early one morning, I went to Providence Hospital. This is a hospital. I always thought that was kind of an interesting name for a hospital, Providence Hospital. But one morning, went to this hospital to pray with someone before a surgery. And I don't remember the situation, I don't remember who this was. I just remember being there, praying with someone very, very early in the morning. I left the room, got on the elevator, and the ele we, this was on one of the upper floors. A number of us got on the elevator. In fact, it was basically full. And so we're all kind of there in the elevator. You know how we do in the elevator. We're all kind of there and trying to look straight ahead, and we start going down. 
doors open to the next floor. A few more people squeeze in, including this nurse. And when the nurse squeezed in, she, she didn't get very far. She turned around, and the crease of the door was just right here in front of her. The elevator starts to descend. And she did this. <sighs> we were quiet in the elevator, and so when she sighed, you, I mean, you could hear that. Well, there was another nurse on the elevator. And apparently they knew one another. No one's turning around now. Apparently they knew one another. And this nurse, kind of at the back of the elevator, she says, she says, uh, Mary, how's your morning been? And I was thinking, I'm, you know, I'm just thinking, I wonder what happened. I wonder why she sighed like that. I wonder if she worked all night and she's just tired. I wonder if she just came out of a patient's room and maybe this person was being very difficult. Maybe she just got bad news about somebody at home. I don't know. But her friend said, Mary... How's your morning been? And Mary, this nurse, the nurse that was standing right at the crease of the elevator, she said, I am so blessed. I'm richly blessed. You thought we were quiet before. We were really quiet at that point. The elevator went down to the first floor. Doors opened, people are getting off, and there at Providence, you, uh, you either go to the right or the left, it kind of fans out, and, and, and both go to the parking lots. Anyway, I went left, and I was right behind Mary and two nurses, one of whom asked that question. Right behind them, I, I can hear what they're saying. And the nurse who had asked that question, Mary, how's your morning? looks at Mary and she says, Mary, me too. I'm, I'm blessed. I'm richly blessed. This morning, no matter what you got going on in your life, no matter what you're anticipating for the week to come, or no matter what you've been through this past week, because of the grace of God, the cross of Christ, His resurrection, we can say, we are richly blessed. Now, I'm going to pray, and those of you who are shepherds and prayer leaders can go to your places now. We're going to, we're going to pray. You may want to just come to several of one of these people and ask them to pray for you. For some of you this morning, you may want somebody to pray that you would have the strength to say no to what you need to say no to. Some of you may want to ask them to pray with you and for you about the courage and the strength to say yes to what you need to say yes to. Some of you may just want to somebody to pray with you and for you and to thank God that because of His grace 
in spite of what you experience in this world, that you, right now, just the way you are, can say you are richly blessed. We're going to sing. I want to encourage you to pray. Pray from your seat. Come to one of these folks and pray. But let us leave and let us begin tomorrow responding to the grace of God who teaches us what to say no to and what to say yes to. Let's sing together.